Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I am delighted today to have our guest. I met her, I'm going to say during COVID, when I was running my 30-day Heart-Centered Leadership Challenge. And I extended her an invite to participate. And she recently reached out and said, let's reconnect. And I thought, what a great story it will be to reconnect and have you on the podcast. So I want to welcome Rosin Baudry to the show. So thanks. So good to see you. It's been a while. We were saying before I hit record, long time no see, but now it's a great way to catch up. So Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, and I know your role has changed since we first met. So tell us right. a little bit about what you're doing and the work you're doing. So a lot of new things have come up quite, quite recently. One of the ones that I do want to share because I'm super, super proud of is I was selected to be one of Tony Robbins's mentees in his business strategy mastery program. So... I'm so proud of that. I'm going to have a results coach and I'm going to be able to scale my business that I've been working on and it's evolved. And uh, this business is basically an online platform, which is it's going to be like a learning management system. It's an online platform where you can access videos of trainings online. The niche of it versus others is I bring in the EQ and the CQ. So emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence. I am an Arab American Muslim female. And my Arab ethnicities or actual all ethnicities are of Russian descent, Turkish, Saudi Arabian, and Syria. And so the cultural intelligence aspect of my trainings is super important. And I say this a lot because... In America, we say that America is a melting pot. It's not. It's a tossed salad. We have some carrots. We have croutons. We have lettuce. And we each taste different. And we each have very, very different nutrients. Well, congratulations. You Lots of things have happened since we first met and connected with COVID. So I'm going to dive into my interview and ask you my leadership questions. And my first one is, what kind of spurred you to get that fire in your belly going after the leadership challenge? What was the catalyst for change for you? So the leadership challenge opened up my eyes to something because at the time I was doing my master's at USC in human resource management. And I was taking a leadership in HR class. And in that class, we were doing the burning. A. Brown book, Dare to Lead, and we were doing the worksheet, like values worksheet. And so as our professor was taking us through it, it made me dive 
very, very deep into my soul. And I realized that my two top priority values were make a difference and respect, right? And so when I entered your challenge, the part about gratitude was something that really, really resonated at the time. Because yes, I do make a difference every single day. I know I do from the guy that brings me my coffee and from the gardener that I say hello to and from my new Israeli neighbor that I gave a toy to, a learning toy, so his kids could learn English faster than than the norm because they only know Hebrew, right? I know I make a difference and I know I, I respect everybody because I was nominated 76 times in the city of Beverly Hills for the Embrace Civility Award, right? So that was done. But the problem was I wasn't thanking myself, the world, the universe, and God for the capabilities he gave me, right? And so that part in your leadership challenge was something so, it was easy to do, but it was hard to believe, right? And so when we were forced to do it, because that's part of the evolution, right? The part of the transformation, every time I would write, and, and your challenge said, write anything that you're thankful for. And so at the time, I spent about two weeks in Myrtle Beach with my family. And Myrtle Beach has a beautiful, it's in South Carolina. So it has a beautiful beach and we, have, we own a condo there. And so I would write, I'm thankful for the shells. I'm thankful for my daughter walking on the sand, right? I started saying thanks to the things that really, really make a difference to me. And that's when the transformation really happened. And it allowed me to accept my successes for what they are because I was born to do them. It's beautiful. It's, you know, a lot of times people say to me, that's so simple, Deb, or it's common sense. And how many times did I say at nauseam, common sense isn't always common practice. Right. So good for you. I'm excited for you. Thank you. So my second question is kind of a little bit of candor and humor around the name of the show. It has okay. permanent residency on the show. And I've asked over 250 leaders this question. Okay. Laughter is permitted. And remember, it's only a 30-minute show. Right. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? So the imperfections that I bring, I would say, are I'm too black or white. So... I don't thrive in the gray area. I thrive when things are clear. And so as a heart-centered leader, nothing <laughs> is ever clear, right? Because if you use your emotion with logic, but you use your emotion, then you can never say something's black or white. It's always in the gray because people feel different things. You feel different things. The circumstances around you make you feel different things. That's why our moods elevate and change throughout the hour, right? Because one minute you could be drinking your coffee and you're happy. Two minutes later, the school could call you and tell you that your daughter fell, you know? So, so it's, it's, that's an imperfection of mine. And the second is having high expectations for people. I expect not that they're like me, just simply that they are human. Absolutely. 
And and sometimes we can get into that comparison trap or think, why don't they do it the way I do it? And I think a lot of people who've been on the show have have shared with that. And sometimes being that black and white makes us also be a little bit impatient. So right. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Okay, third question. You've had a lot of changes through COVID. You were going to school. You've got lots of new things with your career. What was your big takeaway that you learned, be it personally or professionally from COVID, that has now influenced your life in a positive way? That even if you don't see people face-to-face, you can still emotionally connect with them and show them empathy, grace, and care. Absolutely. Even though we were Zoomed out, we could say we're Zoomed out together. And again, instilling some of that candor and humor and just having that alignment and relatability and really right. that extension of kindness from a distance. Yes, definitely. I I mean, one of the examples that I that I can think of with COVID is my best friend um, who lives in Dubai because I used to live in Dubai for 16 years. She struggled because she has two kids that have cerebral palsy. She has one child that is, you know, healthy and she's a single mom. And of course, with COVID, one of her the kids that are twins has seizures. And so almost once a week, she needs to go to the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And with COVID and in Dubai, you needed to, you need to, to ask for a permit to drive out of your home. Oh, wow. Right. So can you imagine how much anxiety that created her, mm-hmm. like created for her? And so it was so important for me to check up on her all the time, even though I was going through so much turmoil and and went through really difficult times. I made sure that I still told her that I, I, I'm, I'm there with her, even if I'm not calling her every day. She's on my mind. I'm checking her Instagram all the time. And if I see that she is struggling or she voices something, because I can tell just from Instagram, from stories, I can tell if she's suffering, quote unquote, right? And so I would reach out. I would reach Mm -hmm. out every time, even if it was like 3 a.m. here, because it's 3 p.m. over there. And it's just little things like that, that really make a difference and make people remember you. So I always say as a leader, people always remember how you made them feel, not what you did. Yeah. That's, that's a lovely quote. And and it's true. You know, we remember moments, not always specific, infinite details, but how someone made us feel. And, and it's that validation of, right. I'm, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. And, and you monitoring her on Instagram with the time zone difference. And it's the little things and the effort and the initiation around it that are is super, super important. I love that. Right. Um, I'm happy that you brought up CQ because my last leadership question for you is around diversity, equality, and inclusion. And and you brought up the brilliance that you're going to bring with your new business with not only EQ, but CQ. Share with us some advice for a younger person who might be looking to get into any type of work where there's some sensitivity and not just a baseline knowledge, but some expertise around diversity, equality, and inclusion. What what advice would you give to that younger person or even perhaps to yourself knowing what you know now? So I'm going to tell you exactly what I did. Because when I moved from Dubai to LA, this is a huge change, right? Because at the time when I lived in the UAE, there was no Israeli embassy. So there were no Israelis. 
So there weren't Jews around us, right? And the other thing is the LGBTQ concept, yes, it exists, but it's hidden, right? It's not, people don't vocally talk about it because culturally and religiously, it's frowned upon, right? Well, it's frowned upon. And so for me to move from that, which I'm used to because I lived abroad for 35 years, right? In those areas, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Egypt, you know, to be able to change my mindset and go from there to here to a very liberated city. You know what I mean? Like California and, and it's California, LA, Beverly Hills. So I'm in the middle of freedom, right? And so what I did personally because I knew I was going to be in a community of Jews. I knew that I'm going to have to face LGBTQ um, communities. And because I'm a mindful person, I had to learn, right? Even if I didn't like it, even if I didn't agree with it, even if I don't respect it, whatever it is, you must educate yourself. And so what I did was I went, I told my husband, let's buy Netflix America because Netflix Middle East censors all these things. I told him, let's buy Netflix America. And while my husband was here in America trying to figure out where we're going to live and all of that, I stayed every night after work watching every single LGBTQ series, movies, and every single Jewish, Hasidic or not Hasidic show. And some were even just in Hebrew when I was reading the, the English subtitles. How did that impact me when I came to the U.S.? I came living in Beverly Hills where the majority are Jewish. It allowed me to embrace every single Jewish person in front of me and allowed me to love them without the brainwashing of Palestine and, and all that stuff that happens, right? I looked at everybody as, I don't care what your country did, that wasn't you, right? This is me and you are human, so we're equal. And then when it came to LGBTQ, funny enough, my first manager in America is gay, right? He's married to a wonderful man and he's a wonderful man as well. And it allowed me to love him for who he is, right? Not for what he is. And if I hadn't watched Tales of a City uh, in San Francisco on, on Netflix, if I hadn't watched that, I wouldn't have understood why and how two men can love each other. And so... My, my advice is allow yourself to have an open mind. That's one, allow it. Accept that there will be instances where you will feel uncomfortable and that is okay. And third, educate yourself so you never, ever, ever experience a situation where you are called out for not being mindful. I love that you adapted to knowing what you needed and wanted to be when you landed in California and yeah. taking the time to get Netflix in the U.S. and start educating yourself. And isn't it that slight vulnerability that we all need? We need to learn what we don't know. Right. And you knew what you didn't know and what you needed to know to land in a completely different country and, and right. kudos to you. And I, I just think it's such alignment. It goes back to that gratitude practice you did. You were you were setting the foundation for all of this to happen. Right, right. No, it's it wasn't, you know, being a Muslim, it's very difficult, of course, to like 
some of those shows were pure like porn, right? And it's it was very difficult because in reality, I'm not allowed to see that, right? The reality, mm-hmm. if I'm going to stick to religion, black or white, I shouldn't be seeing stuff like that. But I said to myself that if God is not going to forgive me for wanting to accept every human, then he should have probably never put me on earth, you know? Yeah. And so I really went out of my comfort zone to learn. But that's because I knew that if I did learn, I would come to America not to survive, but to thrive. Exactly. And you are. So kudos to you. Thank you. All right. I'm going to switch to my fab four. This is just four (laughs) fun questions. Whatever sitting top of mind. Okay. Okay. First question Share with us a word or a phrase that is common in your vocabulary when you're speaking or doing any extension of leadership. What's something that's on repeat for you that you've kind of adhered to? It's supposed to be funny. (laughs) It's whatever it is. Um, Okay, well, so, okay, this is something that I always say all the time. And I say it to my daughter a lot. And because my daughter is like my number one trainee, right? So she's seven. So I I really count on accountability. So I tell her, Sarah, practice what you preach, right? And now she's seven and she understands what that means, right? Because I've repeated it so many times. And I say to everybody, even, even my husband, the office, whatever, I always say people need to practice what they preach. It's not enough to want to sound like you're smart or you're mindful or you're whatever, if you're not walking the talk, right? So you got to do it. You got to, it has to align or else people lose trust and credibility in who you are. You know, whether you're a mother or whether you're a leader or whatever it is, if you don't walk the talk, then just don't talk it. That's why I wrote my book. (laughs) Okay, second question. Share with us a book that you've read and this could be at any time in your life. That was impactful. And then, and what was the name of the book and who was the author? This is going to sound so weird, but there's a twist. <laughs> so the most impactful book, okay, so on a professional level, the most impactful book was Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And I'll, t- I'll say two, and Mastering Civility by Dr. Christine Poreff. So that was very impactful in terms of just leadership and civility and and being brave and and daring, right? But on a personal level, a book that really took me time to understand the psychology of a human through this book, and it was The Fifty Shades of Grey. The way I read it was, what happened to this man for him to become like this, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's the way I always, so this comes Mm -hmm. a lot with the EQ and CQ, right? I look at people and I think whenever, whenever they've lashed out or they've, you know, they've acted up, I ask myself, what happened to them? What happened? Right. And so once in my office, one of the leaders who is of a, like a Latino culture, I asked him once because I've heard different things about him and I'm the type that doesn't go with the wind. Like if somebody says bad things about somebody, I don't believe it until I know the facts and I have to know the facts from the person themselves. Right. So I was, I was talking to, to them and I was just in general saying, you know, tell me about like your life. And then, you know, like, where did you live? Blah, blah. So they said they were part, they, they lived in a 
Latino country and, and they, that's where they were, that their mother allowed them to escape to, you know, like to come to America for a better future, whatever. Within the conversations, I find out that his father was murdered in front of him, that his brother also was murdered by the gang, right? And so when I learned that, I understood why people call him out for being, fav- like for, for having favorites or for having loyal, like the clan, right? Mm-hmm. If you If you really look into a person and you say, you know, why are they like that? Why isn't he treating everybody equally, right? Well, he wasn't treated equally. His father wasn't and his brother wasn't. So why should he treat everybody else equally if he wasn't treated equally? Mm-hmm. So when you understand these complexities in people, you start to realize why they're like that, not blame them for the reason they're like that. Exactly. That's deep. It's good. And it's, you know, I call it sitting in the observer's chair. When you can sit in the observer's chair and see life through his vantage point. Right. Uh, we're all born pretty innocent and free and and we become that of the circumstance we've lived and learned. And right. we're, we're complex humans, we are. Yeah, we, we are. Okay, my third question is kind of fun. Let me give you some, let me, yeah. let me frame it up for you. So I'm granting you a wish. Okay. And you get to have dinner with any leader that you'd like. And this leader could be living or they could have been uh, passed away. Who are you having dinner with? Why are you having dinner with them? And what is the dinner conversation? Wow. So I didn't think of this question before. So, but, but the, when, when you said those, when you probed on them, so this is going to be very random because I've never met them in my life and they're related to me. Um, I would love to have dinner with my great-grandfather, mm. uh, Dr. Abdul Wahab Panawati. And that's because he got his PhD from Switzerland in chemical compounding. And he was the pioneer of medicine in Syria. So when he went back to Damascus, wow, he opened the first medicine factory in Damascus and Syria, in all of Syria. And he, he opened the first pharmacy in Syria. And he used to go on a donkey with a cart with all the herbs and he'd go from city to city making medicine and and curing people around him until he was able to open that factory and create proper medicine. And until today, if you ask anybody that's from Syria, from any city, and you tell them, you know, that pink aspirin um, sachet that has a little boy's picture and that's my uncle, Zafir Kanawati, They'll tell you, yeah, that's the children's aspirin. And then they'll say, yeah, that's the Kanawati. That's Abdul Wahab Kanawati. And so his legacy is until today. Until today, if I say my, my mom's side is Kanawati and I, I'm talking to anybody that's Syrian, you know what they say? They say it's, there's, a, there's a saying, a response to it in, in Arabic, which is which means, which means with honor. That's lovely. I could I can feel your emotion when you talk about him. That's lovely. And what a legacy. Yeah. Think of all the lives he has saved. Wow. Well, first of all, before we close out the show, I have a sentence I'm going to have you finish. Um, okay. I'm so glad you reached out. I'm so glad you are thriving. You are thriving. 
and we must keep in touch. And I wish you all the best. And thank you. Thank you for being in the arena of heart-centered leadership with me because I think together we make a ripple effect. It's my pleasure. I'm going to have you finish the show by finishing this sentence. Okay. Heart-centered leadership is? The only way that humanity will ever become better. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September. 